One thing is that I've mentioned it here as an attitude. And does anybody have Wi-Fi on their phone? You do? Could you look up attitude and tell us what it means? Does anybody here have an attitude? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's hear the the, the, uh, definition. I'll repeat it. Attitude. A settled way of thinking. A settled way of thinking. Or feeling. Or feeling. About something. About something. Or informal North American. Oh, better not say that one. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. A truculent or uncooperative behavior. That's kind of how it was humorous for when I said, Do you have an attitude? It's a settled way of, of thinking of things, right? Thinking or feeling about things. And there's a way in which we can adjust our attitudes. And one thing I heard before is your, your attitude determines your altitude, meaning how far you go in whatever you're doing. It depends on your attitude. But fortunately, as humans, we're malleable and we can adjust our attitudes and so forth. So the, the very idea of Adjusting toward gratitude can be a a discipline or a practice. It's not that we have to wait until we have gratitude, but one of the points of me giving this talk tonight is that one could practice it, practice having gratitude, rather than saying, well, I don't feel grateful, so why don't you try it? And when we do try it, it actually is more in line with reality because we have abundant gifts coming to us at all times. However, I may not have a capacity to appreciate them. And that's another concept that my teacher uh, gave me many years ago. And that is that every living being has an appreciating capacity. So let's talk about some of these points. That is an immigration form. What's that doing there? Um, on it, I, as a monk, I used to uh, travel a lot. Still do, actually. It, uh, there's a f- section on there that says occupation. And I truly used to look at that and think, like, what should I put? wasn't sure which category I fit into. But then I thought, what would be the best possible occupation one could have based on the idea of appreciating capacity? And I thought of the occupation of being an appreciator. So I could write that in the <coughs> box on occupation. So when you get up to the 
front of the line and they look at your immigration form. Like, what do you do? I'm an appreciator. Well, let's see you do it. It's like, well, I think you're doing a good job right now. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you appreciate, appreciates, as in it increases, it grows. And looking at it from a more... Um, from a higher level, the ancient Vedas, wisdom literatures, talk about who we are. What is our existential position? There is an original divine source, they say, and we're all part of that. We're part and parcel of the original divine source. We're all emanations from that source. So everything's related. But what is the purpose of existence? And the whole exists for itself. And it is said, Raso Vaisaha, Sanskrit, that the, the whole, the complete whole, the complete spirit, exists for pleasure, for rasa, for enjoyment. And we're part of that complete whole. So what is our existential condition? Well, according to the Bhagavad Gita, we're parts of the, of the complete whole. Just as when you have a fire and there's sparks, the sparks have the same quality as the whole fire, but the fire itself is larger and it's the source of the sparks. So it is said that the sparks are simultaneously one and different from fire. They're one in quality, but different in quantity. And as individual units of consciousness or sparks of consciousness, which the Bhagavad Gita says we are. We are the ones that animate this body. We're not our body. The body's a biomechanical robot. You have levers and you have pumps and all types of moving parts that we can objectify. We can look at them and say, I'm not those parts. I'm looking at them. But what are we? We're the spiritual spark within. So what's our purpose? Happiness, says the Vedas. So where do you find that happiness? Because it's a little bit interrupted here in this world. I don't know about you, but I can say that for sure. Whatever you uh, endeavor to enjoy in this world, it may be here today, gone tomorrow. That may be a source of concern. Or it may be mixed happiness when you get it the anticipation of it was better than when you got it in the first place. Does any of that sound familiar? Please say yes. yes. Otherwise I'll feel really bad. So, we are appreciators. And what's our occupation? We appreciate. So, what's the use of having a something beautiful or aesthetically pleasing if there's nobody to appreciate it? So this is the idea that the ancient wisdom literatures give, that this is our constitutional position to enjoy by appreciating the complete whole. As parts, we can appreciate the complete whole and marvel in it. It's unlimited how much we can appreciate it. And there's no limit to how much we can increase our appreciating capacity. These are the presentations of the ancient wisdom literature. So we can take it as a theory and test it out in our own lives.
So is anybody going to try this if you fill out your uh, disembarkation card? Somebody said yes. Okay, three people will try it. Call me afterwards. Tell me what happens. Louis Pasteur once said that great discoveries come only unto the prepared mind. And there's a, a way in which when my attitude or the preparation of my mind is towards seeing those gifts, then I'll start noticing how abundant they are. I would say that the ways in which I take things for granted makes the world seem dull. And when I realize the importance of the things that I have already, I can start appreciating them and having gratitude for them. So in that light, I'd like to tell you a little story about a conversation I had with my heart. May I? Yes. Permission? Tell a personal story. So in the afternoons, I take a 20-minute nap because... It's scientific. Well, it's all you need is 20 minutes, and all I need in, in the afternoon is just, you know, the most electronic things, computers, when you turn them off and turn them on, if there's a major problem, 90% of the time you don't have to call customer support. You just turn it off and turn it on again, and then it works. Right? Yeah. Same thing with my brain. So... At a certain time of the day, I just like, okay, I'll switch it off and switch it back on again. Ten minutes to restart. So one day I was taking my 20-minute nap, and as I was waking up, and there's a liminal stage, if you've ever noticed, when you're waking up from a dream or from turning off your brain for a few minutes, and you, you feel lucid, where you, it, everything seems kind of clear. And I was lying on my left side, and then... As I was coming back to awareness, I started noticing my heart. Have you ever been lying in such a way that you can hear your heart beating? Like, crunch, 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 you know, you can hear it there. Well, this time, it startled me almost. Like, what? what is that? And I said, oh yeah, it's my heart. When's the last time I actually listened to it? And then I suddenly felt a little grateful for my heart. Because after all, it was working really hard, and then I thought, it's been working hard for a long time. It's the first time I really noticed it or sent anything to it. So I, I thought I'd reach out. So I said, my dear heart, I want to thank you. You've been working hard for many years, and I've never even really said anything to you. And my heart talked back to me. You want to hear what it said? Yes. Okay. Fourteen people said yes. Everyone else, close your ears. He said, he said, um, you're quite welcome. But I can't do this forever. In fact, I'm only doing it as a duty. At a certain time, I'll be asked to stop, and that will be it. Doing the best I can with what I have. And when I swung my legs off the bed and I put them on the floor, I had a whole new attitude. As I was thinking about how much I took for granted my heart and then it extended out into all the different aspects of my life. There's, it's easy enough to see the world as gray. Everything's the same. 
and it's just dull. But when there's a sense of appreciation for what I have, for my life, the, the fact that I am conscious and that I can be aware of my consciousness and that I can direct my consciousness wherever I wish, I have that power, the volition or free will to direct my awareness wherever I want it to go, then I suddenly saw the world in a, a different light. And I thought of everything I had at that present moment as a gift. So there's a state of consciousness of extreme gratitude that awakens gradually in the practice of developing consciousness according to the wisdom literatures like Bhagavad Gita and so forth. When we become aware of what we are and the fact that we're in a universe that has unlimited variety. I also sometimes marvel looking at plants because I like to garden. And just, it's easy enough to take a plant for granted. Don't take your plants for granted. The leaves are little factories. They collect the sunlight. I mean, what is sunlight anyway, right? Have you ever thought of that? And they're taking that sunlight, and it's a little factory that changes it into energy, and then it produces flowers and fruits. And within each fruit, there's a collection of seeds. Don't get me started on seeds. But if you look at a seed and you think it's little dried up entity and within it is the power to recreate another plant, just add water, a little soil and light. And then it produces myriad colors, varieties and so forth. I can see it one of two ways. As Einstein once said, you can see everything in the world as a miracle. Or you can just take it for granted. So there's a way in which uh, there's, uh, in the teachings of ancient wisdom literatures, to see the world for its uniqueness at every second. My name that my teacher gave me many years ago in 1973 is Vaisheshika. I said you can call me Vaish because that other name is a little long. But it comes from a root word in Sanskrit which means Vishesha. Vishesha means special or unique. And what it refers to is that everything within the universe is unique. There's not one particle that is exactly the same as another. There's not one sunset or sunset or sunrise that's, that's the same as another. There's not one person in this room that's exactly the same as another. Everything about the, the world is unique at every second. It's always unfolding with unlimited variety and uniqueness. What do you think of that? On a scale of 1 to 10. 6, 4, 2, 1, 10, 20. <laughs> I mean, you can marvel at these things. And, and we try to, but there's a way in which I may not give much wonderment to the sunrise. What's all that all about? I mean, that's the most amazing event of the day, isn't it? 
I mean, what is the sun anyway? When I was a kid, my brother and I used to lie in our backyard, my parents' house in California, get our sleeping bags, and we'd go into the lawn. We'd sleep out there at night sometimes when they'd let us. And then we'd just sit, lie next to each other and look at the sky. There wasn't much light pollution where we lived, so we could look up and the stars were there. And we'd just start talking to one another and saying, what is that? And where'd those come from? And how far does it go? We're imagining, is there a door on the other side that goes somewhere else? And what to speak of when the sun comes up in the morning. When I finished going to university, I took a break because I was a little frazzled. So I jumped in my car and I drove up the coast of California and just went camping in the wilderness in a few places. And I noticed that early in the morning, before I could see anything, all the animals started chattering because the sun was coming up. And I'd get out of the tent and I'd look and I'd stand on a rock and I could, it's dark, everybody, I can't see anything. What are you all excited about? But they were going wild that the sun is coming up again and it's a, it's a big deal for them. I, on the other hand, may be so absorbed in my life situation that I'm driving to work and trying to keep the sun out of my eyes and um, thinking of it as a botheration. I may forget that. The point is there's a, a way to see the world in reality of what it really is and not through a restricted way of looking. Uh, there's an expansive way of seeing the world and remembering that it comes from a source Remember, remembering also that it's unlimitedly variegated and that I'm being maintained. If you think about the heart example and the ways in which... Does anybody eat today? No, we're going to feed you later. But I'm just now thinking about how things were digested. I mean, did you ever consider how that happens? You eat some food, and then it just everything gets broken down in the in the right way and distributed to different parts of your body. Glucose goes to the brain, and all the other parts that you need in different areas are perfectly distributed. And it's almost like when you start a dishwasher, you put in a little bit of soap, push the button, close the door, and you hear a whirring sound, and it goes through the cycles. Our bodies are going through that all the time and providing us an environment, a platform on which we can work on ourselves. We can see the world in different ways and we can appreciate things. And uh, it requires very little maintenance. Have you ever noticed how it heals itself? That's the source of wonderment. I mean, I take it for granted. I cut myself and I think, oh, that's nothing, it'll grow, it'll grow back. Like, how does it do that? <laughs> Why does it do that? In other words, there's a way of uh, looking at the world and seeing that everything's a miracle. Like, how did that happen? How did it heal itself? And there's a verse in the ancient book called the Sri Upanishad that says, Om Purnam Adah Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnam Eva Vishishate. And it's talking about the completeness of the world. Purnam means complete. Everyone say Purnam. Purnam means complete. In fact, in a place we go once a year, we take a spiritual retreat. 
down to a place called Jagannath Puri. It's in Orissa. And there, when they're feeding you, and they like to feed you there a lot, when you're full, you just say, Purnam. You know, I'm complete, I'm full. <laughs> so the verse says that everything comes from a complete source. And all units that come from that complete source are complete in themselves. They're designed as complete units to be able to take care of themselves. And when we become aware of the completeness of the units that are emanating from the complete whole, and we become aware that there's a divine source that's complete in itself, then there's a sense of appreciation for the miracles that are manifesting all around us. Can anybody else think of something that's normally perhaps commonplace, or we may see as commonplace, but then if we look at it through this different lens of gratitude that we see it as miraculous. Can you think of anything in your life? Yes. Memory. Oh, can you say more about that? Memory. Memory. You don't seem to have uh, any real control over what you remember or what you don't remember. And the fact that something pops into your awareness is uh, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I, I can really relate to that. Just the way I might be working on a problem also. And then all of a sudden the solution comes into my head. And memory, I may be chasing something and it can't find it. And then all of a sudden it presents itself, right? It's miraculous. Any, let's hear a few more. I was going to say any more, but I'll just say, please give a few more. Yes. Sweet thing. Sweating. Say more about sweating. Yeah. It's amazing, right? As soon as you start dancing a little bit or walking up a hill, pores open, and the body has a self-cooling system. It's complete. There's a complete system within the body to take care of that. And when it gets cold, your pores close up, protects all the organs in the body. That's a, that's a miracle. It's amazing. Two more. There are unlimited miracles. We only need two to get us over the finish line. Yes, please. Um, it's just interesting living in a city and just how um, how many tangents there are of life. And you know, like sharing this room right now with strangers, it's like we, we all had so much life before, have so much life after. But yet we're all here in this one moment. And just strange how you can walk down the street and you're passing through so many Yes, and uh, considering that, the Bhagavad Gita talks about how every soul is amazing. He uses the word ascharyavat. says ascharyavat pashiti kashyanenam ascharyavat vidadita taivachanya. That if you look at any one person and you realize that there's somebody looking back at you, that's a little startling. In fact, people generally don't look at each other that much. Like if you get in an elevator, everyone's do 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 try to look away. Or you're walking down the street, if you see somebody coming towards you from a distance, like you're on a morning walk or something, then you're thinking, am I going to notice the person or not? Should I keep my eyes down or say good morning? <laughs> what? There's a power in, the, in each person, which is that spark of consciousness. And also... 
there's something in a glance as well that comes from any given person. And when you put all the people together in one place, it's quite an amazing array of variety coming from each individual conscious being. That's a nice one, thanks. Can we get one more? Yes. Might be a strange one, but actually being born like mm -hmm. in your in a mother's womb. Yeah. And the root that, that happens and it just naturally flows and you come into human existence. And sometimes we take that for granted. Sometimes I see a pregnant woman and there's a bump. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> like, where'd you get the baby? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It just came out. <laughs> yeah, it is a miracle. It's it is one of the greatest miracles. It's just there's a almost carbon copy comes out, and like, how did that happen? And that, and then when you look at the being that's in there, or as you observe a child growing up, you see like, wow, they're actually persons. They have their own will, and there's a way in which they come out with some predispositions also. There's nature and nurture, of course, but there's also a carryover, according to the ancient wisdom literatures from last lives. And everybody has a history of uh, a chain of various experiences in life, according to the Bhagavad Gita and other literatures that talk about how we're in a continuum you might see somebody now in this life and they're maybe they have some humble position somewhere in their last life they might have been a prime minister somewhere or if somebody's an aunt in this life they might have been a great violinist in their last life first chair so looking at each thing in with you with as a as a unique aspect of an as an emanation from the complete whole can be quite not just entertaining but absorbing and also we can be in a state of appreciation rather than being caught up in the complexities of life because I have a vested interest in a particular outcome if I look at it from a higher perspective things in my life mean may seem out of control but it doesn't mean the universe is out of control just the way I'm expecting it to go in my particular direction. So there's unlimited gifts around us. And what is our capacity to appreciate them? That's a, uh, a spiritual practice to look at things a second time, a third time, and say, what is it? Where did it come from? How is it working? And to take time to appreciate it. Appreciating seems like a passive thing to do, but it's an extremely powerful meditation. Ready? Should I move to the next slide? Yes. Okay. So there's an explanation given in the Bhagavad Gita, a little bit of philosophy here. In the Bhagavad Gita, which is considered a standard text that gives basic understanding of consciousness and the difference of the difference in energies that we encounter in our lives. For instance, the Bhagavad Gita catalogs what's called material energies, and those are given as earth, 
water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. These are the eight gross and subtle material energies. They're not conscious. Then the Gita says, there's another energy that's superior to those elements. And does anybody want to guess what it is? It's you. So we say soul and and in the Sanskrit is called Atma, self. And so it's described as antimatter. It has the properties that are opposite of what matter is. Matter is constantly changing and diminishing. Whereas spiritual energy or conscious energy, it doesn't diminish at any time. It remains a complete unit. So as you were saying, so aptly, the soul or the unit of consciousness, the spark of consciousness within the body becomes can become conscious of matter. After all, matter wouldn't matter if we weren't there to observe it. It only takes uh, particular qualities because we're looking at it from our perspective because we have consciousness. So, why does this matter in the context of gratitude? Well, when, when I'm connected to matter, when I put my attention into matter, I be, I, my consciousness becomes like matter also. For instance, if I become absorbed in material objects, then I start to assume the same qualities as those objects. I'll give you an example. For instance, if uh, you've ever had a car, anybody here ever had a car? You have a car? You need a car in London to get around? But if you've ever had a car, you can know it can be a very a personal item. People choose, sometimes, some people choose cars based on how it looks and how I look in the car. And then I can become attached to the car. Is that a true statement? Yes. People get attached to their cars. Okay, so let's just take a scenario. So a person's sitting in his living room and he hears outside. I've noticed here in London that the streets are very narrow. So it must happen sometimes that a car gets hit. Has it ever happened here in London that a car got hit? Once. One time. <laughs> so the one time it happened, this guy was in his living room and he heard it outside and he thought, that's right in the area where my car was, where I parked it. And then he starts to perspire because he remembers I didn't renew the insurance. And then he jumps up and runs to the window and his heart's pounding and he's, his mind is churning. And he looks out the window and he notices, oh, it wasn't my car that was hit, it was my neighbor's car. So how does he feel now? Relieved. Huh? Relieved? <laughs> yeah, because it's not his car, right? And interestingly, a car is a car. It's all basically the same ingredients and there's thousands, millions of them here in London. But one of them is my car. Why? Because I've projected myself into it. I say, this is my car. And then it becomes connected to me. It becomes connected in my consciousness. And this is 
something that Krishna talks about in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, when you meditate, when you contemplate certain objects in this world and think that I'm going to, those are going to be mine. That's mine. I'm going to um, be the controller of that thing and I'm going to enjoy it. So then I develop a connection to it called a Sangha. Everyone say Sangha. Sangha, just like my arm is an Anga or a part of my body. So then I look at a material object and I say, that's mine. And then it becomes a part of me. And now it becomes kind of a problem for me because I have to take care of it. It's a part of my reality. So the world is uh, something we're involved with. And the way that we're involved with it makes a difference. And the way we observe the world according to the Bhagavad Gita and the way our consciousness becomes formed in our attitudes also is by uh, association with three qualities of this world. You'll find this again and again in the teachings of the ancient wisdom literatures and that there's three major qualities called modalities also, or we just sometimes call them modes, and they're as follows. There's sattva. Everyone say sattva. Sattva. Sattva also sometimes gets translated as goodness. And the next one is called rajas. Rajas. And sometimes gets translated as passion. And then there's tamas, which means darkness or ignorance. These three modalities in combination and permutation then develop unlimited variety of material kinds of consciousness when we associate with them. And we see the world not the way we are, said Epictetus, the Greek philosopher, but the way we are. And according to the Bhagavad Gita, the way we are is dependent on the lens we're looking through in the world. And that lens is formed by these three modalities, the combinations of them. So when I'm in goodness, I see things clearly. I also am peaceful, and there's a sense of duty or virtue. And when I'm in passion, I'm more affected by passion. Then there's a sense of longing for material things. And no matter how many I get, I still want more. Does that sound familiar? It's in a lot of songs. Too much is not enough. And there's a way in which uh, whatever I get, it stimulates another cycle of yearning for more. This is rajas. It's born of rajas or passion. And then ignorance means that I can't get off the floor. I dream about doing something, but I never do it. Have you ever known anybody like that? I had a friend once always used to bring me ideas and say, I got a great idea. I said, why don't you do it? And he said, I can't. And it, probably the reason he couldn't because he smoked a lot of marijuana. And that it tends to put one in that like, wow, maybe I could do this or that someday. And uh, th- this is uh, a symptom of, of this uh, lowest mode. So they all mix together. And they affect our appreciating capacity. So in sattva, there's an expansive appreciation capacity. It's actually uh, the the way we uh, 
culture sattva. There's a way in which we can bring more of this sattva energy into our lives. And when we have that, then we start to see things more in a unique way. That is, we'll look at anything and appreciate its connection to the whole and sort of marvel at the lesson it's teaching us. In fact, in some of the ancient wisdom literatures, it's mentioned how the elements of the world can become your guru because they teach you something. But that's when your mind is in sattva. You take lessons from your environment. There was this sage who was living in the wilderness and then a king was riding through his retinue and he met this sage. And After talking to him for a while, he realized that the sage was enlightened. And he said, how did you become enlightened? And he said, I have my 24 gurus here. And the king looked around and said, excuse me, but you live in the wilderness. I don't see anybody else here. And he said, no, no, look, see, there's the mountain. The mountain has taught me tolerance. As I watch how it gets smashed by thunderbolts and rain, and it still keeps giving clear water and minerals. And then there's the tree. The tree provides service for everyone through its shade and fruits and so forth. And then he mentions 22 other phenomena of the world. Some of them were incidents, like one of them was when he was sitting on a rock one day meditating and he saw a hawk flying up into the air with a mouse. And then two bigger hawks assailed the smaller hawk and they grabbed onto him and said, give up the mouse or die. And then the smaller hawk just dropped the mouse and flew away. And from that he learned detachment called drop the mouse. I gave a talk at Intel once, and I talked about that story, and it caught on. Every time I went there, people would say, drop the mouse. <laughs> it's a lesson he learned through his own intelligence because he was in sattva. So when he looked at the world, every element was teaching him a lesson. Every incident in his life was bringing him to a lesson about himself and his connection to the Supreme. So cultivating... Sattva brings us to expansive consciousness. When we have rajas, our appreciation is restricted. No matter how hard we try, we can't see it. And in ignorance, there's a way in which everything looks bad. Have you ever had a day like that? It doesn't matter what it is. Here, you want this? No, I don't like anything. Here, I'll give you $1,000. I don't want $1,000. Probably lose it. <laughs> Got to pay taxes on it anyway. <laughs> Want some ice cream? No, I'm fat. <laughs> we, can, we can really be pushed down by the modes of nature. So the, one of the, uh, li the lifestyle change of bhakti is to live in sattva. There are sattva habits in eating, sattva habits in organizing your space, sattva habits in speech, and it's a practice. And once sattva awakens uh, in your heart, then there's... Much you find an ex expansive sense of appreciation of the universe and the lessons coming to you from the universe in all its different variety and aspects. Okay, now I promised you I was going to ask for reflections. I kind of did earlier, but it was more pointed about specific topics, but I'll just do it in a random way now. Please give me four reflections. One thing that you heard that's stuck in your mind so far. Did I mention their cash prices? They come. 
Yes. And everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. Now, that's an interesting point, too, because when someone reaches an even higher level of consciousness beyond sattva, there's a way in which such a person, now wait for it because this is pretty heavy, even reversals in life can be taken with gratitude. This is a, actually, a, there's a famous uh, verse or poem that comes in this book called the Srimad Bhagavatam that talks about how the most advanced spiritualist sees even what most people consider a reversal of fortune in his or her life to be a form of grace meant to teach a lesson and bring to a higher level. This is called teachable moments when we're given an opportunity to look deeper into what our real purpose is. Sometimes when everything's flush and I think that I'm fine, then it's hard to realize the importance of every second in life and take advantage of it and be grateful for it. But sometimes when things are taken away unceremoniously and suddenly I'm jarred and I have to dig deep, if you've ever had this happen, and go back to what really matters, then you come back to yourself that I really don't need anything else except to be myself. Because what I am, and this is part of sattva thinking, what I am is enough. I don't need to add anything else. I came to a, Nirkul and I go on this retreat together once a year to a place called, I can't say where it is because then people can find us, but it's up in Northern California. And there's a botanical garden there. And there's a little bridge that goes over a, a stream. And on it, they put a placard and it said, no coins needed to operate stream. Uh -huh. <laughs> These people go there and they throw in, like, here, let's make a wish. And clunk, <laughs> and you see all, this, all these coins in the river. So they put that kind of humorous placard on there, no coins necessary to operate stream. And I was thinking about that. We don't need anything extra to appreciate the gifts of life. And when we come to a point when things are taken away that we take for granted, and then we realize, I'm still alive, actually, I have my life. In fact, this is a kind of way of philosophizing that's really true. If anybody, any, if you've ever lost anything, like you've lost a relationship, or you've lost a loved one, or you've lost, or somebody hit your car, I hate to bring that up again. But, and then, you know, a friend comes and says, well, it's just a car. Have you ever heard that before? Remember, it's just a car. That's philosophy. That's looking at the world in a different way. And so this point about how when there's some loss in your life, when there's something that happens, you can take that out of gratitude also. Sometimes it's hard in the moment. But when we're processing and trying to see that everything that happens to me happens for a reason and it's meant to teach me something, then I can take that and... I, I can extract the extreme gratitude out of it. I heard a commencement speech by Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, and he gave it Stanford. I forget what year it was, but he told about the most important junctures in his life. And one of them was what most people would consider to be a disaster, or two of them. Actually, all three of them were. And 
One of them was that he built up this company called Apple. You've heard of that, right? Not Apple Records, but... Is that still here? Yes. Oh, you've got to swing by. So Apple Computer, it was a huge success. And then he hired a, a CEO to help manage the company. And the CEO conspired after some time to oust Steve Jobs from his own company. They voted him out. And he said when that happened, he first thought this is the worst thing my life's over because he identified Apple is me. I started the company, it's my company, and now I'm out of it. It was embarrassing, it, it, it was deeply hurtful. And then he said the day after that he realized, well, why did I get into this in the first place? And he went back to what brought him there, which was to be creative. He went to a creative university called Reed College and he got into calligraphy of all things. And he said, could I make a computer that actually does fonts we take for granted now? So the point was, it was a disaster, a complete reversal, but then he realized that actually this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And a similar thing happened when he got diagnosed that he had a fatal disease. And then when he went back a few days later, they said, well, it's not as fatal as we thought. But he said within those couple of days when he got the diagnosis, between when he got the diagnosis and when, it, when the diagnosis was changed, he said he reordered his whole life. Because when you think, now my body's going to be taken away very quickly, then you start to look at things in a different way. So there's a way in which we can actually take reversals as a chance to reorder our lives, to look at things in a different perspective. I'll take a couple more. Yes? Uh, what really stuck with me was when you said, um, wait, it, it's in general like, because the, the creatures are excited about the sunrise, but because we're stuck in our mode of, like we create this structure thinking it's intelligent to do things in this way, the, the way I've created for my life, and that we are stuck in that thing, <laughs> and um, we cannot really see things outside of that little box. Um, so, yeah, I guess that links back to what you said just now, is that if we have a purpose and a direction that, and, and a sense of identity that is beyond the circumstance, then we would actually uh, function more smoothly as well, because you can um, appreciate along the way, knowing I have this bigger purpose, but you can still see things. Yeah, nice point. Really nice point. Thanks for the reflection. Well, it all amplifies when we talk about it. It reminded me of a few things, if I might. I'll try to keep it brief. My wife says I give long answers sometimes. Um, there's a kanji in Japanese, uh, komaru, which means trouble. And it's a tree in a box. You know, uh, Chinese calligraphy? It's little pictographs, right? So that partially adopted in Japan, Japanese language. They have three alphabets. So one of them is the uh, pictographs or kanjis. So the one for trouble, komaru, is a tree in a box. Does that make sense? Yeah. Trees 
shouldn't be boxed in. So that's trouble. So the idea of, uh, you know, I live in a box, there's a way in which humans can paint themselves into a corner, as the old cliche says, or we can put ourselves in a box. For instance, television. Humans uh, are conscious beings, and they have intelligence, so they could create technological wonders. But then, because the material nature is actually divine, it can come right back and control us. For instance, the television. We still have TV here in London? Yeah. Somebody? We create a box. It's a marvel of nature. I mean, how does it even... How do pictures come into a, into a plastic box with a bunch of wires in it? And then the human gets captured by the box. It's sitting there like seven hours a day. I have to watch TV. You created it. Get away from it. <laughs> it's like, I can't. So we have this interesting relationship with nature. And then <clears throat> there's a way I was thinking the other day about how the universe is so vast. If we actually start to contemplate it, we kind of freak out. Like, have you ever looked at the sky, like I said, my brother and I used and you look at it and say, wait a minute, that's way too much. I'm going inside. <laughs> so I was walking the other day back home next to our park that's near our house. And there's a football field there. Now, football, that's a different thing in America. They have these goalposts where people kick a ball through, the, through these, they call uprights. It's part of the game. And I was, the sun was just going down. And I just happened to have the perspective of looking at the sky through these goalposts. And I was thinking, why, do, why are there so many demarcations? Like, after all, I already walked past the basketball court, and there's a little hoop, and people all day long stand, and they're putting a ball through the hoop. Then I went by a baseball court, a baseball field, same thing. It's all marked off, like, just this area. Here's where we're going to play. And then the football field, it has this little perspective of the universe from where I was standing and I was thinking it's too much for humans to contemplate the whole thing so they say well we're just going to make it right here <laughs> and all you have to do is get the ball through there and then you're successful and we'll pay you a lot of money and we, we tend to limit the way we look at the world and just think this is the all in all only what we have here we don't allow ourselves to look out into the greater world and contemplate what it is. But it's, one of, it's what, according to the ancient wisdom literatures, it's what the human form is meant for. We're appreciators. How far can you take that? So the first, what is called a sutra or a pithy statement that gives you a start in spiritual life in one of the most important ancient books called the Brahma Sutras, it says this, Atato Brahma Jignasa. You want to try saying it? I'll say it word by word. Atato, Atato. Brahma, Brahma. Jignasa. Jignasa. It means now that you're human, ask huge questions. Like, where did I come from? What does it all mean? And don't limit yourself to a little goalpost. So it's like, all I care about is that I kick this ball through there and then everything's okay. Don't put yourself into a box. Uh, you're more than a tree even. We're meant to grow unlimitedly and appreciate unlimitedly. But we box ourselves in in these little, the confines of our own mind. The mind becomes a very small place. It gets constricted and I think, oh, just my little world and everything else should stay out there. So, yeah, nice reflection. I'll take one more. Yes. 
Uh, I think for me it was when you said um, when we desire material objects they become part of us and the car analogy because I don't think I'm attached to my car like for me it just gets me from one place to another but I think I would feel something if my car got hit I mean someone else I mean when you said that thing about another person's car getting hit and me feeling relieved I would feel that emotion so I think I'm more attached to it than I think I am yes that's a good, a good, good point and just in the language, if we say there's a car, what's the difference between a car and my car? Things are things, right? Everywhere things are things, but some things are my things. And I'm not saying we should just renounce all things and everyone should take each other's things. That's not what I'm saying. Everyone has a quota and you have to maintain yourself because there's a practicality to the world. Nonetheless, we can notice that there's a way in which we interact with this world that's always changing and we claim some things to be ours and this is uh, a, a function of the what is called a, a hunkar a hunkar is uh, an attitude that i am this body and everything connected to it belongs to me and it is said to be the ultimate source of my suffering and it holds me back from spiritual growth uh, that I am the body. Interesting, the word in Sanskrit is ahankar because aham means I. So it says, and kara actually means the, the, the performer of activity, like I'm the doer. But it, ahankar means, like you could say, my car. <laughs> or I am my car. <laughs> ahankar, that's me, <laughs> my car. And so uh, an artist that I'm working with because I just uh, finished a book called The Four Questions for a Better Life. And in it, one of the artists made this, I told the story about the car in the book, you know, by get, getting a car hit. So one of the artists working on the book rendered a little car that has hair and legs and stuff like that. Looks like a person, a hung car. Okay. I said one more, but I'll take one more because I saw a hand. Yes. Um. My reflection is on the principle of that inconceivable, but simultaneously oneness and difference. Mm. And the idea that very often, like, because you know you spoke about the heart, you had this, you had this conversation with your heart, and you, and you got up and you was like, oh, I've got a completely different relationship to my heart that I really appreciate. But very often at Studio 108 or, or reading or anything that we do in, the, in this realm, chant the mantras, that we, we speak about the relationship that there is, that possible that we are the Atma, that, that possibility, that questioning that you'll talk about. But very often when we talk about gratitude and appreciation and we spoke about this whole thing, we, we kind of, well I do, I used to, move, to more, move, to move, move towards the material side of things, but my reflection here is very recently, so it's interesting that you said that, simultaneously I've been reading a lot about it recently is that to appreciate the possibility that that is true like you are part and parcel like and people go on that spiritual path and it's like I need to find answers and the mind starts to work but actually sitting in that that idea I am part and parcel of something that is so expansive like what you're talking about, that, that expansive appreciation and just sitting with that. I mean, that, that is ultimate appreciation. 
instead of moving into all the other bits. And then when you get that, all the other stuff just falls into, into place. But how often do we actually do that? We start outward and then come inward instead of going inward to go outward. Yeah, it's a nice point. And the, the way that the order in which we can actually progress is from the inside out. So all of the, our perspective depends on uh, the lens we're looking through and what we've realized. And there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita. Anything? Okay. And there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita that, that mentions when the student, Arjuna, asks his teacher, Krishna, it's a dialogue throughout the Bhagavad Gita, and he asks him, what's the symptom of somebody that's in spiritual consciousness? And uh, Krishna answers, Prajahati Adakaman Sarvan Patmanobatan Atman Yevatmanatushta Stita Pragnasta Dochite. So the first word in this verse means that one is able to become an observer of the body and mind and the desires that are coming within the mind. So it says, Manogatan means the mind goes. As the implication is the mind is like a little factory. It's always creating these uh, desires for what my teacher used to call unnecessary necessities. And they're coming by as if on a conveyor belt, one after another. And so prajahati means you have the, the wherewithal, the power to actually not chase after them. When I'm not aware of what's going on inside. There's a way in which I identify with all the thoughts, the worries, the desires that come through my mental system. And I think that's me. But a self-realized person is able to objectify those and step back. And there's a state called the shakshitva. Shakshi means witness, and shakshitva means witnesshood. So there's a way in which you can actually be aloof and watch how your mind's working and bringing desires. And and you're not attached to them. So he said that's the first part. A person becomes aware that uh, I'm the observer. I don't have to grab onto the life situation and, and let it carry me away, just as if when you went to see a movie. Have you ever seen a movie in a movie theater? Just making sure. So then you go in, the lights go out, and then the, on the screen the light comes, have you ever seen a movie that you were carried away by? Yes. Okay, well, that I was. When I was a kid, there was a movie called Born Free. It was about these lions. And they, uh, they were in captivity, and then they let them go, and it followed the path of the lions. I cried in that movie. I can still remember it, being really upset with what happened with one of the lions. And then <clears throat> when the light comes on, you realize, oh, there was a story on a screen. So there's a way in which... Uh, our life situation, we're watching as if it's a movie. And then I get carried away by it. But one who's in Shakshitva, they step back and they notice that actually all these projections of my life situation are <coughs> something that is uh, superfluous to my actual existence. I'm, I'm, a, I'm transcendental to that. And the second part is that the person gets atma tushta. Please say tushta. Tushta. It means satisfaction. Doesn't it sound kind of like that? Yeah. 
It almost sounds like you're opening some tush ta. I feel happy. So tushta means this inner side. Atma tushta means you're happy in yourself. You don't need anything else. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to get something. You already know you are something. It's so amazing that you don't need to add anything onto it. Nowhere to go. I'm actually satisfied right now in being myself. So this is one of the first symptoms that Krishna mentions that one attains this sense of perspective, doesn't have to grab on to everything every, and claim every part of one's life situation and become carried away by it, and also feel satisfaction that I actually feel complete in myself. I feel satisfied just being who I am. Thank you for such nice reflections. Okay, time's up. Finished? Past time. Thank you very much for inviting us here to Studio 108. I'll be uh, remembering all of you and uh, missing you. And I, please keep up the beautiful vibration you're all making. And um, hope to see you next time we come through London. Not to the arm, 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 not to the